Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they are really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of a good fantasy novel with a strong female lead and a new mom desperately searching for time to read. And I'm Nicole. I'm exploring a new genre recently, the space opera. And I'm into it. Yeah. We are super excited to be with you today. And before we start talking about our doorstopper of a novel, we're going to mention what we've been reading lately. One great one I have read recently is called The Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. And it's the beginning of a fantasy trilogy. And it's it's kind of based on West African mythology. And it was so good. Like, I'd had it on my TBR for a while. I didn't expect it to really stand out because there's a lot of fantasy trilogies. They have to be really good to stand out. Um, and, and then I was like sucked into it and I was recommending it left and right. Um, just something different about it. Like there's only so many fantasy trilogies, trilogies I can read that are just about a love triangle. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. magic is like, meh. Um, but this one really stood out. And the second one was just recently published. Um, and I'm waiting in line for the library, and I'm really excited. Nice. Um, what about you? I always, side note, um, I'm just really uh, slightly proud of you for your patience to wait for things from the library when they first come out, because I always just buy it, because I'm impatient. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta like, limit my, my spending on that. Otherwise, if I was just free-for-all, it would be... My house couldn't hold the book, so it'd be too much. True. Um, lately, my only real time to read has been, you know, at 3 a.m. when I'm putting my child who hates sleep back down for the night. And so I just I just went down a Harry Potter fan faction rabbit hole. And I'm, you know, I'm not mad about it. It happens. Sometimes that's what you need. You know, all reading counts. All I mean, Draco and Hermione really needed to end up together. Yeah, and since now J.K. Rowling sucks, you know, I'd rather read the fan fiction than the original stuff. And I can do whatever the fuck I want with it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where I've been. But we also, I mean, I don't feel too bad because I did finish this book, which our book for this week is called The Sorrow of Belgium by Hugo Klaus, or Klaus, and it is... Um, It was published in 1983 in Dutch and translated to English in 1990. Um, and it's, it is big, 604 pages in the English translation, and it's also our 68th book on the 1001 Books woo, list. Woo, getting closer to number 100. <laughs> um, if you could describe this book in one word, what would you say? Long. <laughs> I said child. Um, our quick plot is that a ch- this book is about a child in Belgium living through World War II. So what do we want to say about this doorstopper? Um, well, this book is told in two very distinct parts. So the first 200-ish pages are little mini, like, stories um, about this child who's at a, a nunnery. Right? A school. A, a like nun a school. school. Yeah. Um, and he is telling what's happening in his life. And then the second 400 pages are still from this child's viewpoint, but it kind of zooms out a little bit and focuses more on what's like going on in the world and how he hears and sees things that are happening around him rather than being little vignettes. Um, and something I did not catch in my first read, you'll have to tell me if you caught it, uh, when I was researching for this episode, is that the child Louise... Um, wants to be, or Louis, I don't know how you pronounce it. I was saying, I was reading it as Louis, like a French pronunciation, but I'm not sure. All right, Louis. Sure, that works for me. Um, He he wants to be an author, 
in the in the book. And so the first section is supposed to be his book that he wrote. Yeah, I did not get that. And at I all. did not. Uh, these are the two sections that I, I noticed that there was a change. The first section to me was the part of the book that I liked, and the second long section was the part of the book that I did not like. That's all I registered. Which is so funny because in the first section. I could not for the life of me follow what the F was going on. Mm. I like, I don't know something about the way it was written. I like could not follow it. The second section, at least I could like follow what was happening. <laughs> wow. Opposite, definitely the opposite. Yeah. So, um, I will say, uh, something I'm learning from our podcast journey is that there's a lot to be said for brevity. Yes. Um, I also think that the that trope that like oh it's a book it's in a book so many of these books do that and it's just like that does not make the book good by itself it is very overdone and we've only read sixty eight of the thousand and one and it's already I feel too many we should have just been keeping track we should I wish start we had now tracked. yeah and um, I think the most important thing about this book is that the child Louis is narrating it through both sections and so we have an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And the reason I liked the first 200 pages is because that was kind of timeline-wise taking place just as World War II was, like, starting. Just barely. Mm -hmm. And we had this child who's, like, maybe 10 at the beginning. And it was so interesting to see it through his eyes. See how the the small things that he was noticing that were changing in his community and his day-to-day life. Um, And just also just, like, wrapped in a bunch of, like, kid silliness you know yeah, uh, and, I, and i like that and it's and it, i liked that it was it was an unreliable narrator uh and then as the war went on then we get into the second section and it's bleak of course you mm-hmm. know and the part of belgium that he lives in uh seems to be at least in this book's telling was or not nazi sympathizing and, yeah, and, and, and that wasn't sure. necessarily because they liked the Nazis, but it was more that they hated the French. Yeah, so we've got this like complicated geopolitical situation um, that has, I'm sure, lots of history that we don't really know as mm-hmm. Americans, uh, and a child talking about it. Because if it had been an adult talking about it, it would have been a totally different book. And so I was like, this is an interesting way to talk about uh, this complex geopolitical situation. Yeah, and it was... Um... There was obviously, and I read, I did read the preface. I was thinking, did I read it? But I did. Um, That history of, like, Flemish and Dutch and French and all that, like, intertwining and um, things really played a big role in it. Uh, But, again, I just... It just, there's too long, too long. Things just (laughs) don't need to be that long. Yeah, and, and I also read in the introduction that it was in its original language, there was lots of interplays and in jokes about like the different languages that are spoken in Belgium. And, and they just took a bunch of that out in the English version. Cause it wouldn't even translate yeah. all those plays on words and stuff. So I think we're really missing something to read it in English. Yeah. And it, um, it definitely felt like it was very, you needed a lot of background knowledge to access yeah. A lot of what this story wanted you to get. And I think part of that is because of its length. Um, if it had just been like, oh, we have complicated feelings about the French. Here's a child observing what's happening in the city as his father is a Nazi supporter and his mom works at a Nazi like station. And um, his uncle, I think it is, or somebody goes to work in the Nazi factories in Germany. Like, um, and 
that there's some interplay there with people in the town who don't support the Nazis. They could have done that in 200 pages. Yeah. 200 yeah. pages. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's always interesting to me whenever it's a more recently written book about World War II that acknowledges that some people in Europe, even outside of Germany, were like totally on board with this. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think that happens a lot. And so I think it's important that those kind of books exist because they're more accurate and they give a more accurate portrayal. Um, so that's the second nice thing I can say about this book. The third yeah. nice thing is that there's some really funny stuff in there as he's growing up where he discovers his penis and it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was some weird sexual stuff oh, in there Oh, weird sexual too. stuff for sure. And, and like, you don't really ever know if it's his imagination or it's something that yeah. really happened. Um, because it's, um, he's an unreliable narrator. So those are the three things that I, that I I could pull yeah. positive for me. I there was one quote oh, I really liked. All right. Um and this just relates to our geopolitical climate now. It says um there's no stopping an ideal mother. Get that into your head. If somebody or a whole nation is prepared to sacrifice their lives for what they believe in, then there's nothing anyone can do about it. I liked that quote. Yeah, that's a good quote. I thought that was a powerful quote. Um that's about it, though. Yeah. So on, on, gen- so that's all right. Small section of good things. It's way too long. Mm-hmm. Six hundred pages. Like, as we have said again and again on the podcast, if you're going to write a book that long, you better earn it. It better be justified that you're. And it's not. Just not. But he's, this book just feels like he's rambling. Yeah, you know? and I. Yeah, and it. I just. I don't know what it is about people who are writing. Oh God, I can't say the word. What's the word for this type of novel? A bl- building. I don't know what word you're referring to. Bildens, the one about a kid growing up. A coming of age story? Yeah, no, but like they have like a name, like a Bildenstrong, Bildenstrong. Oh, God. I don't think I've ever heard this word before. We've used it before. Well, writer... I did not retain it. Okay. <laughs> well, these novels that are like um, the author, because if you read about the, the author's kind of inputting himself into this, because he was a sage. Yes. Yeah. The author's putting it into themselves. And it's telling that growing up, I'm going to look up how to say that word later and I'm going to be mortified how I tried to say it here. Because um, I can picture it in my head. I just don't know how to say it. Because it has like, you know, the dots over the U's. It's just, it's a complicated <laughs> word. Um, and so I don't know why people make these damn books so long. Like, I I, I just don't. <laughs> I do feel like now that you've said that he was kind of like writing about himself or a, a version of what he went through. I think that kind of book in general is prone to be too long because the author is writing it as like a journey of self-discovery and reflection. And, and then so, some and so editor somewhere needs it, to get rid of yeah. 400 pages. Yeah, and then an editor <laughs> let it through, which they shouldn't have done um, because I think those kind of books were, while important for maybe for that author's personal journey, great. Um, they're also a bit self-indulgent if they don't get edited down before they hit the published, you know? Yeah. And, like, if people say that something is their magnum opus, usually it's too long as well, which is mentioned on the back, that it's his magnum opus. And I'm like, that is too long. <laughs> too yeah. long. Yeah, I mean, but then it's interesting, because then we've read other authors, like Hemingway, who all his novels are about stripping a book down to, like, the fewest number of words possible, and we don't always like that, you know? No, but there is a happy medium. There is, yeah, I think we're looking for something in the middle, you know? I just, I also, like... I think we need to make a rule. I'm proposing something for the podcast here. Oh, wait. Okay, I'm ready. If the book is more than 400 pages, 
and you get to the 400 page mark and you think you've gotten everything from the book that you need to get from the book, I think you can say you're done. Okay, so I have a confession. Um, <laughs> I got to 400 pages in this book and I'm going to admit that the last 200 pages were a very, very light skim, you know? Yeah. Like a, oh, I read 200 pages, it's been 45 minutes type skim. I just, I feel like Because it that's had nothing, valid. it was not saying anything else. It was no. just repeating itself. Um, and, it's, it, and if it had been 300 pages, I would have tried to read them all. But not at 600. No. It's too many. So I think that that is a valid rule. I think if it's longer than 400 pages, I think we need to share it with each other and be like, yes. I, I've reached my 400. I No, we're done. Like, but if it's longer than 400 pages and you get to 400 pages and you're like, I I don't know what's... Especially if it's not plot heavy. No. Well, you're not like trying to get to the climax. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I think that I'm proposing that. What do you All feel right. about it? All right. So we'll add this to... Uh, um, Number rule number one is that out of the thousand and one, we can each pick one that we refuse to read. Uh, number- we might need to up that at some point. <laughs> and this is rule number two. Okay, yeah. great. Because I just, I think if I could have started skimming in Look Homeward Angel or started skimming in A World for Julius, Ugh. my life would have been a lot better. Or in Gormenghast. Ugh, yeah. Right? All those books. I got what I needed to get from them by page 400. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So there's that, a reason that most books that get published today are about 350. Because that's like the ideal length for a modern uh, attention span and for being able to say something eloquently and giving it enough space to say it, but not overstating it. Yeah. And I do. The other complaint I have about this book being on this list is I think something as we're developing our list um that I'm realizing is really important to me is I like when books give you a sense of their time and place in the world but are accessible if you did not live or heavily study that time and place in the world yeah and I think that there's been books that do that like crime and punishment like gave you a sense um I would even say books that I didn't like like the uh the one with the butt on the cover by Ivan Oh, Waiting for Dark, Waiting for Light. Waiting for Dark, Waiting for Light. That's my favorite one so far. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I had a sense of the world, but I did not need a ton of background knowledge. Because if we're saying that these are books everyone should read, they should be accessible books. Yeah. As we were reading this, like, and we we postponed several times because the book was long, but also just for other life reasons. So I'd stretch it out over when I read it. And I honestly, at the end, I was like, I am doubting the canon. Like, if this is the canon, this, yeah. is, this, is, this list is a terrible idea. But for that exactly that reason, if everyone is supposed to read this before they die, it needs to be challenging and accessible. Yeah. Not and I just, just don't think that this fits it because I'm not saying it's a bad work. I'm sure that there um, are plenty of people. I know there's because this is actually decently rated. Um, pe- plenty of people who like this, who got a lot from it. Um, I would argue that they should probably still think it's too long, but you know, <laughs> neither here nor there. But I feel like it required so much background information to have it so that you could really access it where there's been a lot of other books that are from parts of the world that I don't live in that are not telling white female North American stories that I was able to understand and access and 
feel like I was in the world, feel like I understood what was happening and was able to draw conclusions from them. And I couldn't really with this one. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I'm learning, like you're saying, like from the list books we've read so far is that if a book is trying to do something, do something with the structure or the perspective or the tone that that um, was unique and interesting and and like you can tell the author thinks they're being very clever it's probably not a great book for read it's not very readable it might have been the first book that did whatever yeah. but that doesn't mean that it should be in the canon for like as like the best books ever written uh to me uh some unless it sometimes it works but like 50 percent or more of the time it's just like yeah that doesn't make it special enough um and then the, the second thing is that the book, the list that we're going from was published in what? Like 2005-ish, 2010? The updated version was 2012, I think. So like, yeah, like two, around the year 2000. And so I think the books that we've read so far from the 80s and 90s, so at the time, the most current books, they haven't been that great because it's really hard to tell if a book is going to stand the test of time after only 10 or 20 years. Yeah. And this book was written in 1983. Uh, and we've noticed that even with the ones that we put on the list, our own list, and then we're like, Oh, we look back at it a few months later, like, eh, actually, no, because even in just that few months, it didn't stick with us. Yeah. And I almost feel like that's what happened to the creators of the list, the original yeah. list, you know? That makes sense. So I think we're kind of, you know, revealing our yes. spots here. Yes. Do you think <laughs> this is a book that everyone should read before they die? No. No. <laughs> no, thank you. Save yourself the time. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh there's a lot of great books about this time period out there, and I just don't think this one's worth it. No, and I don't necessarily think that what this one was trying to say was a bad message. I like when we talk about how we don't want to just demonize Germans in World War II history and then say that everyone else just did the right thing because that's not how it actually happened. Right. Um, so I like that, and there's, I'm sure, other books that do that better. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, should we draw for book 69? Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Our next book. I teach is... fifth graders now. That's they, they say 69 all the time and they don't know what it means, but they laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, our next book is Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. This, so this calls up a very particular memory for me that like when we were young, like 13 or 14, the band Steppenwolf was going to be playing at a casino. And my mom didn't like them. My dad wanted to go. And so him and I were going to go together. But then it turned out you had to be 21 to be in that venue. So we didn't get to go. (laughs) So there's a band called Steppenwolf. And I bet it's named after this book. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, that would make sense. Well, we shall see how Steppenwolf is. Um, But until next time, you can... Email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Litzy at 1001bookspodcast or find us on Goodreads at 1001bookspodcast as well. Great. Until next time, happy Happy reading. reading.